How many of you were here for last week's Sunday night service? How many of you enjoyed it? I had a good time, didn't you? I, I don't know um, what you thought about it, but I thought the Lord was in that. And we had a great day in the Lord. We baptized. We started out by baptizing five kids, and that's enough to praise the Lord for right there, right? Uh, one kid would be enough. And then uh, we, we finished the service and, and kind of dismissed everybody, and we were all just standing around, milling around, doing our own thing. And uh, I had a young man approach me, and he had got saved at camp too. And he said, he said I would like to be baptized. And I said, okay. I said, we'll, we'll find a date and we'll baptize you. He said, I want to be baptized right now. Okay, I said. Luckily, we've got a baptismal robe back here in the back, and I, so uh, we just we started service back up, and Brother Cecil sung some more, and we baptized him. And I was going to give him his certificate right there, and he said he was going to join us this morning, and he did. And uh, so I much appreciate him being here this morning. So I'm going to ask Bo to come forward, and I'm going to present him his uh, certificate of baptism. Yeah, give him a hand. This is Bo Judkins, and uh, he is, you were born in Alabama, right? And we'll forgive you for that. Uh, and then he, uh, he moved to Tennessee, so I've known Bo, believe it or not, me and his dad figured this out since Bo was about three years old. And I hadn't seen him uh, in, in several years, and then uh, he came, showed up at camp, and, and I said, I know you, you're Bo, and he said, I don't have a clue who you are. And uh, I tried to explain to him. Turns out I, I performed his sister's uh, wedding ceremony and uh, married his sister to my cousin Shane. And so I've known Bo and his dad, Mike. Brother Mike is here this morning. And uh, it was an honor to get to baptize Bo. I appreciate that. And I appreciate him uh, just stepping up and asking me, having the courage. That's good, isn't it? And we appreciate the public display of baptism and what it means. And uh, we know that the water didn't save him. Jesus saved his soul. Uh, but the water just represents a watery grave and uh, coming back to new life in Jesus Christ. So, Bo, I would like to present you with this certificate of baptism, and I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate you. I've been thinking this week and praying and, and uh, just thinking about how things were going, and things are going good at the church, and I prayed on what to preach on. And prayed and prayed and prayed. And I'm going to go, go preach one of the most influential stories in the Bible, if you will. A true story out of John chapter 3. Let's turn our Bibles there. John chapter 3. And I'm not just going to preach the one verse that we all know by heart. I've been attempting to, to teach Shaylee this verse this week. And uh, I, would, I would tell her John 3.16 and, and repeat it to her and she'd get about half of it and then chew about the, the other half of it up and didn't know it, but we're working on that. So let's turn to John chapter 3, verse number 1. We're going to read four verses. So if you would, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. John chapter 3, verse number 1. And when you're there, say amen. Most of you know this, but if you don't know the background, I'm going to give you the background. So uh, John 3 verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? 
can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. And, and Lord, I thank you for each one that's chosen to gather here in your house. God, I just pray that you would bless them for their effort of being here. And God, I just pray that you would touch our guests this morning. Thank you for sending them our way. God, bless them as only you can. Lord, I just pray that you would move this morning in this, in this uh, time of preaching, God, that you would just have your way. And Lord, that you would just use me as your vessel. God, I can do absolutely nothing unless it's through your power. And God, I just pray that you would touch people's hearts. Lord, I don't know anybody's condition this morning except my own. And God, I just pray that you would have your way. Lord, uh, touch where somebody needs to be touched, God, and, and convict if conviction's needed, God, and we trust you. And we know that you cannot fail. Lord, give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Jesus, in this uh, section of Scripture that we are reading here in the previous verses, Jesus has just been baptized, and then he starts his earthly ministry. And, and many of you know Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine. That's, that's a very, very uh, well-known thing. And then Jesus does something. After he turns water into wine, he goes to the temple, which what, what any good person would do, right? They would go to the temple, and, and, and he did something in the temple. He actually cleansed the temple. He, he drove some people out. He turned some tables over, and uh, it, it was because that they had turned God's house into a den of thieves rather than what it was meant to be, and that was a place that God was to be worshipped. And so Jesus did that and in chapter 2. And then, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses, so if you still got your Bible out, I'll just read it to you. In John chapter 2, verse 23, this is after Jesus cleansed the temple. And it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man." So Jesus had just started doing these miracles. We don't know exactly what he did, but we can assume that he may have touched some blind people's eyes. He may have opened some deaf ears. He may have even made some lame people walk. And people began to notice that. People began to, to see that that was happening. When, when something like that would, would happen, word would spread really fast. And what people would do, as we find out later in, on in Scripture, is that when they would see Jesus do a miracle, they would go and they would tell others, wouldn't you do that? If, if, God, if Jesus miraculously healed your body and, and d did something for you, which how many of you have been healed by God? It may not have been Jesus directly touching you, but would you say that you've been healed by God's hand? Don't you like to go tell people about that? Don't you want to go tell other people? And so they would go get others and they would bring them to Jesus. And so people began to take notice of Jesus. Remember, he's just, he's just been doing his ministry for maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months. We're not sure on the timeline exactly, but Jesus has just began to minister. And he's doing something totally different. He's not doing this through, the, through what we would call the established church. He's not doing this through the Jewish belief system. He's doing this sort of in a different way. And then we get to John chapter 3, verse 1. And we see a new guy, he's introduced to us. And it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And it, it, we have a little bit of information about Nicodemus, not a whole lot. He shows up just a few more times in Scripture. And it said that he came to Jesus by night. 
Now I want you to understand this, that Nicodemus, I'm going to give you a little bit about his background. If you notice, it said he was a man of the Pharisees. Now anybody that's a Bible student, anybody that knows much about your Bible, you probably, probably, you, you probably have a negative opinion of Pharisees, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that you do? Because generally, what did Pharisees try to do? They, they tried to follow Jesus around and they tried to find fault in what Jesus was doing. That was the, the general idea we have of the Pharisees and what they did. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now what does that mean? What does it actually mean to be a Pharisee? Well, it meant that he kept the law down to the letter. It means that he did exactly what the law of Moses said. He kept the feast when the feasts were to be kept. He did all the purifications that were required. He, he made his sacrifices. Uh, get this, he even tithed to the church. He gave what he was supposed to. He did all these things and he was a very highly religious person. He was somebody that when he showed up in town and he went out, people would look at Nicodemus and they would say, that guy right there lives right. That guy right there does what he is supposed to. He, he acts like he's supposed to. He says the right things. He, he goes to the temple. He does the right things. And so surely if anybody in town, if anybody in Jerusalem must be on their way to heaven, it's got to be Nicodemus, right? That's what people would say. Surely Nicodemus is on his way to heaven. It says that not only was he a Pharisee, but it said he was a ruler of the Jews. That the Jewish people, they actually looked up to Nicodemus when they saw him. They, they revered this man and, and they would take advice from him and he could command people and tell them what to do. Uh, rabbinic history tells us that Nicodemus was actually a very wealthy man. That he was probably one of the three richest men in Israel at this time. So it sounds to me like that Nicodemus had a lot of things going in his favor. He was well liked by the people. He was, he, was a very, he was a very educated person. He had all these things going for him. So surely Nicodemus was going to heaven, right? We, can't, we find out that he comes to Jesus by night and he approaches Jesus. It's, it's pretty obvious why he came to Jesus by night. It's not that that was the only time that he had in his schedule to see Jesus. It was that he didn't want to be seen seeing Jesus. He didn't want, you know, he was concerned about what people would think and, and maybe the other rulers of the Jews, if they saw him going to Jesus by himself, that they would think, well, what's Nicodemus up to? And so he goes to Jesus secretly by night. And this is what he says to Jesus. He calls Jesus rabbi. Notice that word in your Bible it is, is a capital R. That is, that is not just a, a, a common word. That is a title. That was something that you called somebody whom you respected. You can put the word master in there if you would like. Somebody that was highly educated. And he said to Jesus, he said, rabbi or master. Remember, this guy's highly educated, and he said to Jesus, Master, we know. See, he's speaking on behalf of a group. He said, we know. He, don't, he doesn't say, I know. He said, we know. He's talking about the Jewish people, maybe even the Sanhedrin council at the time. We know as a group that you are a teacher and that you had to come from God. And the reason we know that is because no man... Nobody can do these miracles that you're doing except God be with him. So this man came to Jesus with an okay idea. He was exactly right. What he said was spot on. 
when he said Jesus, he said, he said Master, that, that's, that's a good title for Jesus right there. We, we should call him Master, right? We should say ruler, one over us. He said, we know that you're come from God, which Jesus is. I mean, that's very obvious. And then he said, we see that you do these miracles, and, and we know that if you're not from God, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And he begins to admit these things. He compliments Jesus. This is a compliment. But Jesus was not one, if you you read much of the New Testament and read the, the four Gospels, you'll find that Jesus was really not interested in small talk. Jesus was not one that, that just would, would you know, strike up a conversation and, and talk about the weather and all the things, you know, how's your family doing? And, and Jesus could have said, yeah, I, I am come from God. He could have said, you know, God sent me and this is why he sent me. But this was Jesus' reply to Nicodemus. I love what he says. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, you can, you can put the word surely, surely in there. Surely I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus' answer, uh, Jesus, you know, the conversation was going this way, and Jesus took a hard right turn and took them completely in a different direction. And Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now back to Nicodemus' accolades and all the things that he had going for him. Nicodemus probably thought in his mind, and everybody in Jerusalem probably thought, Nicodemus is going to heaven. Nicodemus probably thought, if anybody's going to heaven, it's me, because I do exactly what God's law says. And then Jesus came and he reigned on his parade, if you will. He came and he said, if you're not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you who I meet sometimes, and I meet a lot of them, are people that that have every intention and think that they're on their way to heaven. How many of you in here think this morning you're on your way to heaven? I, I hope you are, you know, and if you're not, this message is for you. But understand that everybody that thinks they're on their way to heaven is not on their way to heaven. Would you say amen to that? There's a lot of people in the world that, that live a pretty good life. I know a man, in fact, I was just talking about him this week to my cousin Corey. My cousin Corey's a, a free will Baptist preacher. And, we, and we, we've, we know the same person, and he's actually a family member, and that's all I'll say. And he's in his mid-80s, and as long as I've known this guy, he, uh, he's, he's been a good man. I mean, he's always, he's always worked hard, and he moved to Detroit, worked in an automotive factory, uh, like many people did, Brother Albert. You know what that's all about, don't you, Brother? And, and, and on the side, he, would, he drove a taxi cab, and he worked hard for his wife, and, and, and he would always took care of his son. I mean, he was a good, solid guy. I've never heard my uncle say a cuss word. I've never seen him do anything bad, drink an alcoholic beverage, or, or do anything that I thought was, was, you know, what we would consider morally unacceptable. And yet I was talking to my cousin Corey the other day, and I said, Corey, I said, I said this guy is uh, he's getting older. He's, a, he's in his mid-80s. And I said, uh, I said, he's a good, moral man. I said, but he don't know Jesus. And I know that. I've, I've, in fact, I've never known the man to darken a church door. Now, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, and, and not going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Amen? But I believe if you're a Christian, you'll want to go to church. Would you agree with that statement? 
And I've never seen this guy go to church, and I've, I've never heard him talk about the things of God. I've, I've never heard him give a, a testimony. And so I asked my cousin, I said, I said, I wonder what the condition of his soul is. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, well, he said, I talked to him one time. And these are the words that he said. He said, he said me and the Lord, we've got something worked out. That scares me. Because you don't have anything worked out with God. God's already got it worked out for you. And this man, in his own eyes, is a good man. And I will not dispute that. I would never argue with that. But I will tell you, and I will tell him, that if you're not born again, you don't make it to heaven. In his own eyes, he's going to heaven because he's got something, what he said, worked out with God worked out I, I, I just I don't understand how somebody could put God in such a, a, a small box and minimize God down to think that you could actually work something out with God that just blows my mind doesn't it don't that blow your mind if anybody ever tells you they got something worked out with God don't believe them because God had it worked out when he sent his son Jesus amen and so Nicodemus is is shocked by Jesus's answer he's He's taken back and he doesn't begin to talk about all, all of his accolades and all of his credentials and all these things. It says in verse 4, Nicodemus saith in him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Surely, surely, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then Jesus says this statement. Pay attention. He says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. He said, Don't be surprised. And so, Nick, and, and this phrase, we don't say this phrase a whole lot in our churches. You ever heard the phrase, how many of you know what being born again is? I hope everybody here does. But just in case you don't, I'm going to give you a quick explanation of what Jesus meant. What it means to be born again is, is a lot of people think, well, that's ludicrous. That, that's a ridiculous statement. How can somebody be born again? And Nicodemus thought the same thing, but he was, he was trying to put God in, in, in the flesh. And he was trying to think about God and, and all these things. But let me ask you this. Let me say this. And, and make this statement, maybe this will clear it up a little bit. When a baby is born, get this, they don't have a past, right? They only have a future. You know, when you think about criminals in the world, you know, they weren't born that way. They, they were not born with a rap sheet, amen? When, when everybody is born, get this, we're all on equal ground, we're all the same. We're, we're just, we're just little, little, little new bundles of joy coming into the world and, and things are going to shape our world and, and send us one way or the other and things are going to be good for some people, bad for some people. But when we're first born, all we have in front of us is our future. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what happens? You no longer have that past. Now you may have it according to the world standards and the world may bring it up occasionally and people may throw it up in your face. But when God forgives you of your sins, that's what being born again is. That's accepting Jesus as your Savior. You no longer have a past. You only have a future with God. 
And Jesus said that, that you've got to experience that new birth. You've got to, to have your past wiped away and, and your future changed. And he said, and if you don't do that, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he said there is going to be a, a, a water birth or a birth that's natural. And he said then there is a spiritual birth. And Nicodemus said, how can these things be? I don't understand, Jesus. See, what Nicodemus had done is he had acknowledged Jesus. That is, that is all he had done to this point. He came and when he, when he said that you're a master of Israel and no man can do these miracles, he had acknowledged Jesus. But did you know by simply being here this morning, you've acknowledged Jesus if you're sitting here, you've acknowledged him. I mean, you're, you're, you're here, you're listening to the Bible, and, and you may not agree, but, but you've simply, you've acknowledged him. And so, so many people in the world think simply by acknowledging Jesus that they have done something. Nicodemus thought, maybe if I just say that, that you're a good guy, then maybe that'll get me somewhere with Jesus. But it doesn't stop at acknowledgement. It has to come with acceptation. So you have to accept what Jesus did. And Nicodemus apparently in verse number 9 had a, tr had a hard time accepting what Jesus was saying. And he didn't understand it. Verse number 12, and I'm just, I'm just preaching in an expository fashion. I don't have a whole lot of points. I'm just giving you what the Bible directly says. In verse number 12, Jesus gives him this answer. He said, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not... How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He said, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And then Jesus is about to tell Nicodemus what it takes to accept him. Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, what Jesus did, Jesus was so wise that he brought Moses up because Nicodemus was a master of Israel. And if there was anybody that knew what Moses had said and what Moses had done, it would have been Nicodemus. And Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was referring to when he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'm going to take a sidebar for just a moment and explain to you what that meant. The children of Israel, they were wandering around in the wilderness. And they began to, they began to question God. They began to complain to God. And so God sent serpents, sent literal fiery serpents it says amongst the people and they began to bite people now how would you would you enjoy that if every time you complain God sent serpents to bite you wouldn't that be awful and so they these snakes went out into the children of Israel and they began to bite them and then the people began to cry out to Moses and say Moses what are we going to do and God told Moses to make a make a serpent out of out of bronze and to put it on a staff and hold it up in the air and that anybody that looked at that serpent that brazen serpent that was held in the air then they could be healed of the bite of the serpent Now how do we apply that to our lives well, let me tell you, there's, a, there's something that has bitten everybody, and that is called the sin nature. 
the nature of Adam, and, and it, is, it, is, it has infected and affected every single person under the sound of my voice. And no matter how hard you try to get away from it, no matter how fast you run or how far you go, that serpent of sin will catch you and it will bite you. And, and, you, and in fact, you're just born with it. You cannot get away from that serpent. And Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, he says, somebody else is going to have to be lifted up so that all men can look unto him. And you know who that would be? That would be Jesus Christ. If you, if you like literature, this in, in literature this would be called a foreshadow of what Jesus was about to do. Jesus was about to die on the cross and Jesus knew that in just three short years from this, when this was written, Jesus was going to go to Calvary and he was going to pour out his blood for our sin and he was already telling Nicodemus about it. Even as the Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then here's the verse that I believe is, is Christianity in a nutshell. If you wanted to trim everything away and try to condense it down and put our beliefs into one verse, I believe this would be the theme verse of Christianity. Wouldn't you, do you believe that this morning? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank God for that cure, for that, that sin nature that I was born with and that you were born with and that Nicodemus was born with it even though he tried every, every day to live a righteous life and he tried to be perfect and do what the law of God says that even though he tried to do that he could not keep it up and he still had something within him that was missing and, and something that was, that was in him that was wrong and that was that sin nature. And here Jesus offered the solution. Jesus offered the cure for the sin nature and that was to just look upon Him and believe in Him. Whosoever believeth should not perish. There's a belief out there and I won't get too deep into it. It's called predestination. There's a certain group of people that believe that, that only certain people are going to heaven, that God has already chosen and judged you whether or not you're going to heaven. And no matter what you do, you cannot change that, so you might as well not try. They must not be too familiar with the word whosoever. Amen? That, must, that, one, that one must not be in their Bible or in their vocabulary or something. That whosoever believeth in Him. It's not enough to acknowledge Him. You've got to believe Him. You've got to put faith in Him. That word believe, it simply means to, to put faith in somebody. To place confidence or, or to be fully persuaded. Let me ask you that question. Are you fully persuaded that Jesus did what He said He did? Do you believe that with all your heart? Or, or maybe, maybe there's some doubt. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is that if you want to make heaven your home, you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross. You have to believe that He got up from the dead. You have to believe that He is sitting on the right hand of the Father making intercession. You have to believe these things. You can't just pick and choose what you want to believe, but you have to believe the entire gospel. And it's so simple. I think, we've, I think we've overused the verse. We've, we've overcomplicated John 3.16 sometimes. 
But let's read on into verse 17, and we'll be done in just a few minutes. It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There's another word we like, isn't it? To be saved. We say those kids that were saved at camp, what were they saved from? Well, they were saved from their sin. They were saved from their self. They were saved, hopefully, from a, a life of, of, of living terribly. I hope they were saved from that. Amen. I hope God spares them that. They were saved from a lot of things. And Jesus came into the world that the world through Him might be saved. Might be. I wish it was a more affirmative word like would be. Or, you know, something that, that says for sure that the entire world, but He says that the world might be saved. And he says that in verse 18, and we'll be done with this verse in just a few minutes, it says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you know what you have to do to miss heaven? Nothing. Just sit there. All you have to do is, is just simply not believe. You don't, you don't have to take any action. You know, those, you know those, those things you get in the mail that say, this is already done, take no further action. Y'all ever got any mail like that? If you, if you don't want to go to heaven, which I would say nobody in here would, would say that. Anybody that's in their right mind, would be, nobody would say, no, you know what, I don't think I want to go to heaven. Anybody, would anybody say that? I don't think so. But yet so many people, even religious people, even people that, that consider themselves to be good moral people, you know, people that think they've got it worked out and think that they've got it going and, and think all, all is well, if they haven't believed in Jesus, they're condemned already. Because, because it's already there in you. The condemnation is already with you. You don't have to, you don't have to, in fact, you don't have to not believe. You just have to sit there and do nothing. I'll tell you what I would like to see. Let me let, me let you all in on just a little bit of a secret. So the baptistry, we had a baptism last week, right? And uh, I'm, I'm trying to have some faith. And here's how I'm trying to have faith. I did not drain the water out of the baptism, baptistry. Okay? Now what that means is that I would love to see somebody get their heart right with Jesus so that they too can be baptized. Now notice the order I said that in, right? Get their heart right with Jesus, then be baptized, right? Amen? Not be baptized, then get your heart right with Jesus. I would love to see that. And you know, last week I preached about fathers, and, and that's, that, was, that was good. I believe that turned out well, and people enjoyed it, and I can preach on doctrine. But at the end of the day, you know why we're here? To talk about Jesus. To lift Jesus up. To, to, to put him where he belongs, and that is on his throne high and above the world. And that if we will do that, John chapter 12, see, so what does it say? That he's going to draw all men into him. That if we will lift him up, and I believe I've tried at least my very best this morning, and, and it's not a whole lot, but I've tried to make this about Jesus. 
I've tried to lift Jesus up. I've tried to explain what Jesus did. If you're saved here this morning, you should be thankful for these verses. You should say, hallelujah, thank, thankful, I'm thankful that I believe in Jesus, that I'm on my way to heaven. But if you're not saved, here's your opportunity. Stop, stop doing nothing. Stop just sitting there and, and, and believe in Jesus. It's so simple. It's so simple my six-year-old figured it out. Just believe. She said, believe Jesus in your heart. That's how you do it. You believe Him with childlike faith. God, we love You. And Lord, this, this morning I pray that as Your Word goes out, Lord, that it would penetrate hearts and that, Lord, people would, would not choose to do nothing. And that people would not choose to push you aside and, and continue on with religion or continue on with, with whatever kind of good living that they may do, be doing. But, God, I pray that somebody would accept you this morning. My, my hope this morning is that the gospel has been presented. And, Lord, that people understand what kind of condition that they're in. Without you, that they're hopeless. And God, I just pray that, that I have made it clear that the only solution, the only cure for what, what is, is people are going through is the precious and wonderful blood of Jesus. It's not about what we can do. It's not about what we can give and, and all this, Lord. It is simply about you. And God, if there's anybody in the house this morning that has, has failed to place their faith in you, God, I pray that you would identify that in their soul this morning. And Lord, that you would make them aware of the fact that they need you. Lord, when, when I get to heaven one of these days, I would love to see everybody here. Lord, I don't want anybody to, to, to miss heaven. And all they have to do is just simply believe. God, bless this invitation. God, do your work. Just please deal with people. Give them the courage to move. In Jesus' name.